Welcome to the Edutainer Podcast. My name is Erin Albert, and in this podcast, we explore the intersection of education and entertainment. Stay tuned for another great episode coming up next. Hey, everybody, it's Aaron Albert. It is Tuesday, April 21st. We are continuing forward with our new normal podcast mini series. Couldn't think of a better guy to bring back on the show other than Chad Priest, the current CEO of the Indiana region of the American Red Cross. As you can imagine, he's been a very busy fellow the last month or so as we've all been cozy at home, locked down. He's been out with his people trying to manage the disaster that is COVID-19. In addition, Indiana has faced some really torrential uh, weather the last couple of weeks as well. So there's been some uh, issues with tornadoes and really bad hail. And uh, wherever the trouble may be, Chad and his team are there. So we really doubly, I personally appreciate him coming on the show talking about disaster prep, disaster management. And I actually veered off a little bit and discussed with him how to identify if disaster management and preparation is something from a career perspective that people might be interested in, since that seems to be his jam. So give a listen to my conversation with Chad Priest. We are here today with Chad Priest. He is CEO of the Indiana region of the American Red Cross a busy guy right now. Chad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise. And you are the man right now, right? I mean, no. the American <laughs> Red Cross. This is, this is, this pandemic is your jam. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about, you, you mentioned off camera or off uh, recording that you were starting to calm down a little bit. So describe the last three or four weeks for us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, no one wishes this, this, this upon anyone. And, and we're, we're, of course, in the disaster, like everyone else. And so, um, yes, it's our jam in, in that we are sort of, we have this in our DNA, right? you know, Carol, uh, Clara Barton had this in her DNA, and it's been passed down to us. So yeah, we're, we're well positioned to do the work. And the team has just done an outstanding job. I got to tell you, I mean, I knew I had a great team. Uh, but I, what I have seen them do has just it's it's the reason I'm getting up every morning uh, there it's just so inspiring so uh, yes we're we're busy and uh, we we've, we've been working really hard to make sure that the fundamental and core services that the Red Cross provides continue uninterrupted and that means keeping our blood supply safe and adequate for the needs of hospitals and others who, who rely on it it also means making sure that we can continue to, to respond to the disasters around us that will continue to happen in the midst of a pandemic. So tornadoes and, and spring storms did not get the memo that there's a human pandemic going on and they don't care. So we've had to con uh, pretty dramatically evaluate how will we scale up services, congregate sheltering, uh, feeding in an environment in which we, we, we can't be together. So there's been a lot of challenges there. And of course, just the role that the Red Cross plays which I believe is foundational and fundamental, convening and collaborating with community-based organizations and in many ways serving as a translator between community-based organizations and the emergency management community. The Red Cross is a social service agency that works in disaster. We have a foot in both worlds. 
And uh, we take our role of convening and collaborating with other community-based organizations really, really seriously. So yeah, it has been busy. We have found what we call our battle rhythm. Uh, we found that pretty quickly, but, but now we're in a mode where um, we're doing what we do best, which is to innovate and flex in the middle of um, a lot of chaos to make sure that we're serving the American people and continuing to alleviate human suffering. I definitely want to go back to the blood donation part, because I know Indiana, at least, for a short period of time, there was drastically low on blood supply. And I know on the flip side, everybody wants to help. So can you describe how people could get involved in blood donation at this point, or can they, and how would they go about identifying where they can do that safely? Well, as you know, we have tried for a lot of years, but there's been no successful analog to human blood. We just haven't been able to invent synthetic blood products that work. So you still need human blood from human donors that we can transfuse into the people who need it, cancer patients, uh, people in trauma, uh, sickle cell patients, and you, you name it. Uh, so it's very important, and it doesn't change because of the pandemic. Obviously, when we first started closing businesses and schools around the country, I meant our blood drives closed, and we closed thousands and thousands of these places, and that meant the cancellation of thousands of drives. For some perspective, we lost 300,000 units or pints, basically, of blood in the, in the span of just a couple of weeks. That's a nationwide. That's an enormous burden to sort of uplift. But here's the great thing about the American people. When we ask them to help, they just help. So we, we said we need some help. And we had an urgent shortage and, and we adapted. And we're not in that spot now. It worked, right? That's the good news. So we have taken measures at our drives to make sure they're safe. There's social distancing in place, expanded use of face masks, gloves, PPE, constant sanitizing. Of course, the blood itself is safe. Um, that's never been an issue here uh, with, with respiratory viruses. So, so the blood supply is now stable, but we've got another problem on our hands. These closures, even it's, it, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of opening. We, I do believe that there's a ramp here that's going to take a while. It's not like you know, in two weeks, everything's back to normal. And even when that happens, we, we've got to be prepared that we're going to be back in this environment at a moment's notice if we see community spread uh, returning in a significant way that threatens the health of communities. So we are right now, um, and, and that under, undergirding that is the fact that less than 3% of Americans donate blood. So when you only have 3% of the country donating, the levers we have to pull, there just aren't that many. We, we, we issue an urgent appeal, and then we say, okay, we're good for now, but, but four weeks or five weeks from now, we may not be. And that's kind of where we're at now. I'm really worried about June and July, to be honest, because Inventory is adequate now to meet needs. A lot of the, um, as the inventory decreased, so did the need, right? Because elective surgeries are being canceled, et cetera. I mean, there's a, there's a constant sort of basal rate of need that doesn't change. But this will change. This is going to change. And we're going to have an increased need. And I, and I know what's going to happen. We're going to find ourselves probably in a situation where we have to go back and say, please donate. And so what I try and tell people is, it may seem like we're clumsy, like, hey, you told us there's a shortage and now you, you have fewer drives scheduled. That, that doesn't make any sense, but it does make sense. The way to solve that is for people to be regular donors all the time and have more of them. Because if every eight weeks you're donating on a regular schedule, that allows us to inventory much better. So that's, uh, and the way to get involved is simple. You go to redcross.org, put in your zip code and find a blood drive. And you may not see a blood drive near you until June. That's okay. That means we've intentionally uh, 
said, that's when we're going to need the product and that's when we want you to donate. So I just encourage folks to, to be okay with that um, and to come along with us on the journey. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I also want to talk to you about how this has impacted the shelter in place orders and COVID-19, you and your family. Um, you mentioned that, you know, everybody in your household's on a Zoom call right now. So what other things have happened and how are you managing that along with your family? That's this working on top of school all from home. Well, it's bizarre. So I've spent my whole career working on disasters and in fact, a lot of it thinking about what we would do in a pandemic. So I've, I've had several out-of-body experiences where I've sort of hovered above myself and gone, wow, I did not expect that to happen, right? <laughs> or, oh, that's just what I thought would happen. I have to tell you, um, I, I've been wrong a lot more than I've been right. And I think that's a, that's a pretty universal feeling. One thing I did not ever really think about was myself. And my family. I mean, I, 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 I don't mean to sound selfless. It's just I just wasn't on my radar, right? So, so now here I am at home. Um, I'm an essential worker. I could go out right now and be about. Um, so, so, that, but that's just not the right thing to do, right? The right thing to do is to model the behavior we want to see in the community. And the truth is, I can do the vast majority of my work at home, just like everyone else can. And and so I'm doing that so that those who can't do their work from home can work can work, you know, safely. And what does that mean for us? Well. I'm wearing a suit and a tie and jeans, and I've got flip-flops on, probably like 80% of Americans on Zoom meetings. I'm, I'm sitting in my bedroom with a step and repeat behind me for meetings on a creaky folding chair uh, in a hastily arranged home office. My kids are, are doing ostensibly some sort of home learning, um, which you know I applaud the teachers uh, of the Indianapolis Public Schools. They're doing a great job, um, and, and I think the kids really are engaged, but it's hard. and so. Luckily, my children are of an age where I don't have to tend to them every minute. Um, it, has, it has inspired me in some ways to see the stuff that's happening inside my house. Like the kids just are like caring for each other and they're, they're like turning into Little House in the Prairie. You know, they're making bread and, and, and doing things in the kitchen. And I walked into the pantry to get lunch and there was like a, a thing of yarn spread everywhere, like one of those laser things protecting a piece of art. And I had to sort of navigate through it to get there. And so I've been reflecting a lot how privileged I am to be able to to play such an important public safety role, just like everyone is, right? And our role is to stay home. So I'm privileged to play that role uh, and to be able to be with um, the people that I want to spend most of my time with anyway. Now, do we wake up occasionally and think, oh my gosh, um, we have to get out of this house? Yes, absolutely we do. We have. I have those moments where I'll finally get 10 minutes of quiet time and I'll sit down and think, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of a global pandemic. Like this is the craziest thing ever. But uh, no, we're, we're in good shape. And, uh, and, and I will tell you who's allowing us to stay in good shape. It's the grocery store workers. It's the UPS driver. It's the postal service. Um, without them, that's our lifeline right now. And uh, we owe everything to them, I think. Agreed. And the healthcare workers, obviously. And without what, question. Yeah. And what's been so fascinating during this pandemic, Chad, is what is and is not an essential worker. Now, I think it sounds very obvious. You know, you're CEO of the Indiana region of the American Red Cross. Your specialty is disaster. Therefore, you are an essential worker. It's, it's other things that have been defined as essential work that I find fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I don't have an opinion about that, but I will say that um, 
that it's funny what you really start caring about, right? You know, what businesses are, remain open or don't. And, and, and we're being so good about the order that I honestly don't have a lot of perspective beyond about five blocks from my house um, about what's going on. So I'd love to hear your take on what you're seeing. Um, um. Yeah, and I haven't been out either. I've been lucky enough to be sheltering in place as well since March myself. So it's just fascinating. I know here in Indiana, liquor stores at one point were essential. Why? Well, I don't I, know. I, I do have an opinion about that. I agree. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, nonetheless, right. nonetheless. Well, I, I want to get back to the on-ramp. Um, you said it was going to be a very slow trajectory. Can, can you kind of unravel, bust out your, you know, uh, crystal ball for us and kind of talk through what you think, quote unquote, the new normal might be? Do you think we're going to obviously not go back to how it was before, but how are we going to get our economy back to normal yet still honor the public health initiatives of social distancing, et cetera. So do you have thoughts on that based upon your emergency background? Well, yeah, I, I, I need to qualify. I'm not an economist. I'm not, uh, that's not my area of expertise. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm within a hair's breadth of, of saying things I have no business saying. Um, I, from a public health perspective, though, there is always a tension, right? And it is, it's always been the basis of public health uh, between um, rights and liberties and the health of the group. And I think the longer the stay-at-home orders continue, the, the more heightened that tension grow, you know, becomes. Not um, surprising. It's really the same discussion we have about every public health measure, vaccination, sanitizing and clean water, fluoridation, you name it. There's always a tension between uh, rights and, and liberties. Uh, we often in the United States frame those as the freedom to, right? The freedom to do something. I'm free to walk. I'm free to go to the park. I'm, I know you shut down the beach, but I'm free to do it. Um, that's interesting. As a person who's thought a lot about this, I tend to think about freedom from in the same way. Uh, I'm, I should be free from illness. I should be free from harm. I should be able to exist in my community without the fear of death. Um, and and, and those, are, those are not mutually exclusive, but we tend to only talk about the freedom too. And so my hope is that as we begin to think about the economy and getting people back to work, which is essential. We just cannot have a situation in which millions and millions of Americans are out of work. That's, that's not a good thing. I don't think there's a single human being alive who thinks that's a good thing. But we have to balance that between the freedom to go to work, the freedom to engage in commerce and enterprise, but also the freedom from um, really something like an existential uh, uh, pandemic, right? We, we cannot sacrifice huge portions of our population at the altar of something. And I, and I think that's where the real turbulence is just getting started because it's a really hard thing for public health people to think about. It's just a complex thing. And um, it's going to be hard for us as community to, to grapple with this. It's hard for me to grapple with it. Um, but that's, I think, the challenge that, that really lays ahead. I don't know what it looks like. I think, I, I, I think there'll be an element of people that don't need to go back to work. I think there'll be an element, right, that, that can work from home. There'll be an element of uh, people recognizing that do we all have to be there together? Right? Maybe we're going to be working in waves or shifts in a different way than we used to. Um, or, or we're going to just rethink what the office looks like. You, you said this, and I, I, I don't have the answer, but I have a hope. And my hope is we never go back to the way things were before this started, ever. We, we cannot return to the status quo because it was so clearly failing us. 
And, and this highlights that in a huge way. So I hope that through the tragedy we're experiencing, and that tragedy is real and will continue to be real, by the way, for many months, just because we open things up does not mean people won't continue to be ill and die. I hope we can do some radical rethinking of, of our social order. Okay, so let me kind of shift the question from the Debbie Downer to the silver linings. What silver linings have you personally gathered from this disaster? I have seen solidarity um, in, in such a huge way. That's not surprising. Americans are, are, are always, we're a resilient group and, and, and we, know how to, we know how to rally. And I've seen that just in such a huge way, and I'm sure you have too, not only on a national scale, but at work. Um, I've also seen it in the community that I live in, and, um, and I, that's really inspiring. And, and it, it proves a point, which is the difference that makes a difference between communities that thrive during crisis and those that collapse. It's all about social cohesion and people uh, getting along and working together. And I have to say, uh, we're seeing that um, I'm at everywhere. And that's not just from the Red Cross perspective. That's just me as a person. So I think that's been really good. Our Red Cross is stronger than ever. Uh, that's, been, that's been very validating to me as, as a, just a small bit player in this huge global movement. Um, and, and it's really been humbling to watch my brothers and sisters in Italy, who the Red Cross is responsible for pre-hospital and ambulance service, really sacrificing everything. Um, my brothers and sisters who are doing international work in war zones, in a in a really dangerous environment, my friends and colleagues in Liberia that I work with closely still watching how they are approaching this public health threat so quickly after Ebola, and really applying all of their expertise in a way that's just humbling because we tend to think that expertise emanates here in the United States, and, I, and that is not the case. And we're seeing that really in this pandemic, where um, countries are really showing us in a way that we're all part of a global learning movement. So yeah, there's been a lot of I think there's been a lot of positives, don't you? I mean, I, I do. I, I really do. I mean, I'm a high eye nerd that likes working from home. So for me, this has kind of been, I don't want to say a vacation because it hasn't been by any means. But um, I think a lot of people are ex now exposed to the opportunity of working from home to see if it's something for them or not. I think there are benefits to working from home. So I think there's lots of positives there. I think it's also a positive in the sense that we can all take a pause maybe for a minute and think about what it is that we truly want out of life and then out of our own career. So my closeout question to you, Chad, is in this disaster, and this is not the first disaster you've been a part of, but you've talked in the past, either in my class at Butler or on this podcast, about how you bring out your kind of calmness during a disaster. And that's where you feel like you are in your Aikigai or your best self in terms of your career and your life development. How might others who are kind of thrown in this disaster ascertain if disaster is a potential career path for themselves? Oh, what a great question. I would ask yourselves maybe a few questions internally during quiet times, like, am I, do I find myself thriving? Can, as, I, as I step on the balcony and look down at myself, do I see myself thriving right now? If so, I'd ask some questions, why is that? Are you, are you just an introvert who likes being alone? 
And then that may not have anything to do with disaster, right? That may just be situational. Um, are you managing complexity and uncertainty in a way that you didn't know you, you could? I think these, these are the, the fundamental traits, right? Navigating uncertainty, flexibility, agility, uh, being comfortable making decisions without a lot of information, feeling not necessarily optimistic or naively hopeful in the outcome. It is, after all, disaster. It is bad. Um, but feeling confident in your ability to navigate it, even if you didn't expect it, um, those might be signs that you would be well suited to work um, around um, around these sort of situations. And I would say those are the things I look for when I talk to people about coming into this sector. It's not so much do you like going to fires or have you studied the emergency management principles. It's are you are you surprised by your own um, calmness or, or capability when, when others around you may appear to not have it. I, I don't know that I'm, you know, I've been reflecting a lot day to day. Okay, was today a good day for me, right? Was today a good day? Um, not every day is a good day. I'm, I'm not a superhero. <laughs> so there are days when I think, oh, I should have handled it differently. Minutes, you know, minute to minute. I, I wish I'd done that differently or I need to rethink that. But the fact that I'm able to engage in introspection while I'm moving during a crisis, I think that's the thing I'm looking for. That'd be the signal I would look for. So if you're the kind of person that's saying, why am I, why is life so normal? That, that may be a clue. Hmm. Well, what is your, that, what's been your perspective? Only just because the last time I think you said, well, you're the, you, you didn't think that was you, uh, you know, um, what, but what's been your, you know, your perspective? Well, I mean, I am undergoing a career transition myself right now. And ironically, I did what all the, you know, gurus say, you know, like, get out your resume and polish it up and do this and that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I found the next opportunity simply by going back to what it is that I really love, my joy, my Ike guy, my reason for being here. And that led me to a position that I'm starting soon. So I think it's disaster is never something that we want to bring on, right? <laughs> it's never something we want to have out there. But I think it provides a lens by which some who may be great professionals in the sea of disaster would be able to expose themselves to when, in fact, it's not always around, thank the Lord, right? So I, yeah. I remember you talking in class about 9-11 and how you were a fresh law student and all you wanted to do was go to the DC site where the disaster happened and try to help there. And uh, to me, in those horrific things that can be put upon us, it's yet another opportunity for us to see whether or not we thrive in that type of environment, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, and, and I think this emergency is so different, though, in that every single person is impacted, both as, I don't like the word victim, but both as an impacted person, but also as one of the helpers. We have, in, we have somehow, we have, we have held up healthcare workers as heroes, which uh, being one, I think I can say, leaves me feeling a little uneasy. None of these people signed up to be nurses or doctors with the idea that they were doing something heroic. Um, maybe a few, but for the vast majority of us, this is our profession and our calling, um, and, and we're competent. And, but, but nobody signed up 
thinking they'd have to put their lives on the line because they wouldn't have masks, right? I mean, that's just not, and, and, and so I do get a little worried when we hold them up as, as heroes because it allows us to, to um, take their something extraordinary uh, and that their sacrifice is normal. And, and the sacrifice we've asked of healthcare workers, it's not normal <laughs> at all. It's unacceptable. Um, and I think everyone in this country agrees with that sentiment. Um, obviously, they're continuing to work in that environment is, of course, heroic and noble. Uh, but that isn't why they signed up, right? I'm telling you that because what is really heroic, what is really noble, is the sacrifice of every single person that's listening to this podcast, every single person in every state in the United States and in every country on the planet. That makes this really unusual. You are the rescuer just as much as the 911 responders coming to your home because the, what we've asked you to do, uh, it requires great sacrifice. And, and that's something that I think we will look back on this event and say, you know, I was one of the rescuers during COVID-19 and it's something I think we can all be very proud of. Agreed. Staying at home is heroic right now, which I think is um, something that we don't often think about as well. Um, so with that, Chad Priest, how can people connect with you in the best way for you? I, mean, I, always, I, I I'd love to hear from anyone, anybody that wants to talk about the Red Cross, join our movement, uh, chad.priest at redcross.org. Uh, you know, we always welcome people. We need help. So if there are those listening that want to volunteer or get involved, I, we've got ways for that. I'm happy to point people in the right direction. Of course, if you want to give blood, support the Red Cross, you can always go to redcross.org. Uh, we need every, every American to join the movement now more than ever. Perfect. Thanks yeah. for having me. Really appreciate it. It's an honor. And again, thank you for carving out the time to serve on this podcast to talk about the new normal. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Edutainer, The New Normal, what we'll all be facing post-COVID-19 lockdowns, and of course, how we're all going to move forward in this new normal. My name is Erin Albert. You can find me, as always, over at Twitter, at Erin L. Albert. I'm at Instagram, at Erin Albert. And of course, over at LinkedIn, as well as ErinAlbert.com. By the way, I'd love to hear from you. If you have an interesting story around COVID-19 and how it's changed your new normal, please feel free to send me a private message and we can conversate about it and possibly get you on the podcast. I will run this mini-series, The New Normal, until the end of April 2020, and then I'm moving on as we all are. By the way, don't forget Pharmacy Majors, the class of 2020. Right now over at LinkedIn Pharmacy MTMS Group, I have up for you the 50-state guide, unofficial guide to getting licensed as a pharmacist. So if you're getting ready to prep for NAMPLEX and or MPJE, it's a good place for you to start. Of course, with the caveat that that document has not been updated since July 2019, nonetheless is a good place to start. Congratulations again to the class of 2020. And if you have an interesting story, I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay safe, wear your mask, wash your hands, and take care. <laughs>